It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the star of Richard Jewell, Paul Walter Hauser. Richard, you're a national hero now. Thank you, sir. But I was just doing my job. You always look at the guy who found the bomb just like you always look at the guy who found the body. Jewel fits the profile of the lone bomber. A frustrated white man who is a police wannabe who seeks to become a hero. We're running it. You're a suspect. You don't talk. I talk. Say it. I don't talk. This might be the only way to clear your name. I want you to say there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Stop trying to be their best friend. I was raised to respect authority. Authority's looking to eat you alive. There's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. I'm sorry, what? His accusers are two of the most powerful forces in the world. The United States government and the media. I do want to help y'all on law enforcement, too. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today is the lead of the new Clint Eastwood film, Richard Jewell. I have with me Paul Walter Hauser. Paul, how's it going? Hey, you son of a gun. <laughs> Neglia fan. It is, uh, it is, what a warm welcome. It's good to be here. Uh, Let's talk movies, Matt. Let's just go there. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Absolutely. I want to actually first ask, because you're still relatively new on the scene here, even though your career has definitely been taking off the last two years. I want to ask, um, how did you get your start in the business? Yeah, I, um, I, I, I'm not really new on the scene as in LA, but I'm definitely new on the scene for like uh, people knowing who I am in that regard. Yeah. And doing, right, like, right. The big stuff. I did theater and stand-up comedy and writing and, and was like very sort of, uh, what would the word be? Sort of just fervent and like, uh, obsessed with, with my hobby of film and TV when I was, when I was a kid and a teenager. So that, that immersion kind of led to, uh, leaving the state of Michigan where I grew up and doing stand-up comedy and taking a couple improv classes and writing screenplays and auditioning. And eventually I moved to LA and that move to LA is what sort of allowed me to be in the sphere of, uh, you know, opportunity. Mm-hmm. It was one thing to be sending head chops all over the place and making little YouTube videos or whatever I was doing, but it was another to be able to be in LA and be on call. If my manager or agent or somebody was like, Hey, there's a guest star for glee or curb your enthusiasm. Can you be there in an hour? You know, that's a big deal to, to just be in the sphere, uh, to be in this place. So, uh, yeah, I worked my way up and just kept doing TV jobs and started to get some indie film stuff. And I, Tanya was obviously the cracking the door open 
and Richard Jewell feels like we're kicking it open a little bit. That's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, you know, it's interesting because you brought up your television work. You've uh, been on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. You've also been a part of uh, Key and Peele for a few episodes. Uh, you have an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia credit, uh, Community, and one thing I just noticed a little bit, just in terms of trajectory, if you will, is uh, the comedy that you mentioned. Uh, it seems that you were definitely being given an uh, opportunity in the comedy sphere, um, not just in television, but also in film. You mentioned I, Tanya before, uh, a breakout role for sure that gave us all tremendous amounts of entertainment. Uh, Late Night, you were really, really funny in that movie this year as well. But with Richard Jewell um, and like Black Klansman stuff, you know, definitely some more uh, dramatic roles. Um, do you have like a preference of one or the other or one do you feel more comfortable in? That's interesting. Um, I sort of had my start in comedy because of stand up and because of sitcom type jobs and improv. But also, I always really wanted to do drama. I was always more excited seeing Robin Williams do Goodwill Hunting, Jim Carrey do Truman Show. Uh, I was almost more excited to watch that than Liar Liar or Mrs. Doubtfire. You know what I mean? So sure. I, I love and have great affection for comedy. I think I'm proficient in comedy, but uh, I kind of wanted to do drama more. Uh, I'll say this. If, you know, the one, the one, one of the few, I, I haven't said this on the press tour yet because it hasn't come up, but it's like, it's so dumb and funny and specific. One of the jobs I wanted more than anything in Hollywood was to be a guest star on Children's Hospital. <laughs> it was just like show on Adult Swim that David Wayne and Rob Corddry did. I was obsessed with it. I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And I was represent. I shared reps with like seven people on the show. Yeah. And they never got me a guest spot or a cameo on the show, and it broke my heart. And I was like, man, I can't believe I never got to do that show or Reno 911 or a couple of those sort of culty, you know, irreverent comedy. So part of me, like, I get more excited about comedy than drama, but I also kind of appreciate drama more than comedy, and that's sort of where I've been headed. But, um, yeah, all this this rant and ramble is just to say, like, <laughs> if I got a call tomorrow to do a, a sketch for Tim Robinson's Netflix show, I think you should leave, I'd be more excited about that than, like, doing a movie with, Catherine Bigelow or Barry Jenkins. Like, I'd literally be more excited. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, right. So, moving it then over to Richard Jewell. Yeah. How familiar were you with Richard Jewell, uh, the individual, and the story itself uh, before you got un- involved with the project? I didn't know a thing. I was nine and a half when the incident happened, I think, and uh, kind of came and went for me. I'm sure it was a bigger story in the South, mm-hmm. uh, even more so. But, um, but yeah, I, I did my research once I got the part and, and the screenplay was something I was fact checking and trying to figure out, like, did they really bring him into the FBI and like try to interrogate him? Did they really um, make him say, I planted a bomb in Centennial Park and recorded it into a phone? Like, And did you find out if indeed it was all true? true. And it was like adding insult to injury the whole way through, you know? Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I can imagine that this being uh, such a large prolific leading role for yourself and also the responsibility um, like you're saying to fact check to get things right because this is ultimately a real person um, there's a lot of pressure uh, that comes along with both of those um, how do you how do you handle pressure 
Um, do, you know, do you welcome it? Is it something that you find exciting? Uh, do you mean the pressure of just how big everything is? <laughs> I guess that's one way to look at it, sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't have that much pressure with acting. If I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sign on to something I don't know how to do. So when I, when I get asked to do something, I've turned down really good projects just because I went this, I don't think I have a way in creatively. Mm. And I think Richard Jewell is something that I went, oh, of course I'm going to play this guy. I thought there were more reputable people than me that would have gotten it. But um, when I saw the photo of him and read the script, I was like, oh yeah, this is a, this is one of my things. So there wasn't pressure creatively. I think there was a lot of pressure in my head of like, I hope I don't let Clint down. I hope I don't let Warner Brothers down. Did Warner Brothers want to cast me? I'm not a movie star, you know? Um, and then and now, now there's the pressure of like, you know, you hope the movie performs, but you kind of have to let it go too. You kind of have to, you have to know that you did your job. Like I remember doing Black Klansman and I'll be, I'll be blunt and honest with you. When I did Black Klansman, I was honored that I was in a Spike Lee movie. I was tickled. I loved it. Sure. No part of me knew whether or not that was a good movie. Mm. And uh, and I love Spike to death. I and mean, if he heard that, I don't know if that would upset him. I don't. I don't know. He he knows me. He knows I love him. But while we're making that movie, we we're doing some crazy stuff, dude. Yeah. Like that scene where we're cheering during the racist movie Birth of a Nation. Like that's that was a crazy scene. I got Topher Grace looking at me playing David Duke. I'm like. Is this, are we doing a good job? Is this insane? Like, are people going to hate this? So, you know, and uh, then I saw the film at uh, the premiere and I was just jaw dropped at how dope it was. I loved it. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, even when pressure mounts, you never even know what you're doing. So, you kind of, it's always best to not look down when you're climbing the mountain. Sure. You know, it's like you have a role to play, you play the role. Um, and not just, uh, I don't mean that just in terms of uh, the character, but your role as an actor in the whole production oh, and sure. you show up, you do your job and you know, hopefully things work out. So I, I, I could totally understand that. Right. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown up. Me too. Yep. Me too. But you know, these days being a grown up can really suck. Luckily we're grown ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades and also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep. Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, GenXGrownUp.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. 
Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Uh, you mentioned before working with Clint Eastwood. Uh, there's Obviously, you probably are getting asked this uh, question a lot. What is it really like working with Clint Eastwood? He is famous and legendary for uh, getting things done in one or two takes, moving on very, very quickly through production. Uh, what has that experience uh, been like uh, compared to some other filmmakers you've worked with before? Yeah, you know, Clint, for the most part, you know, Clint's like two takes, Spike's like four takes, and Craig Gillespie's like six takes. You know, all these guys kind of have a great process and uh, are really prepared and know exactly what they want. But I would say what was great about Clint, more, maybe more than anyone I've worked with, is he really, Clint tells you why he's making the project. He doesn't tell you how. Mm-hmm. He expects you to show up and show him how the movie should be made. So he won't even block a scene. We'll go in and we'll just live in the space and do it like, you know, rough draft theater. And then they'll start moving the camera around the actors sometimes. So it's very, very wide open and malleable, very collaborative. And as a human being, I can tell you, he doesn't talk politics. He doesn't talk, you know, he doesn't gossip about Hollywood stuff. He just, tells fun, self-deprecating stories and cracks jokes and asks questions. And, you know, he's exactly the type of dude you'd want to work with if you're an actor. I I really think he's an actor's director in in the deepest sense of the term. Well, it helps that he's been on both sides of the camera, too. So I'm sure that definitely plays a role. Of course. Uh, Speaking of acting, uh, you're getting a chance to act opposite uh, Sam Rockwell, Kathy Bates, John Hamm, Olivia Wilde. Uh, Can you talk about the experience of working on Richard Jewell with uh, some of these really uh, prolific names? Yeah, that was cool, man. um, That was also very touching when I saw that people signed on knowing I was the guy. Because I don't I don't. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think I think working with Clint is the overwhelming factor, but there is that thing of like this dude's never starred in a movie. Do you know? I don't know this guy either. Is this going to be good? You know, I've only seen him in one or two things. Most of them probably thought, but um, they were they were super cool. They're really gracious and fun. You know, when we wrapped at four p.m. every day or three thirty, the way Clint works, it was like John Hamm would choose a really nice restaurant, and we'd all meet up there and share some bottles of wine and talk about stories from the jobs we've done. And, you know, there were nights that just felt like, uh, you know, John Favreau's dinner for five, that show that was on IFC. Yeah. Yeah. There were nights that just felt like that where I get to sit around and be a fly on the wall, listening to all their stories and having a nice meal. I mean, that's kind of like if, if for the people that know me, like my favorite thing in the world is getting kind, thoughtful, funny, interesting people together and having a meal. So the fact that I did that, like, 14 times of my cast members is like the coolest thing ever. Oh, it does sound like the coolest thing ever. I, and now I want to hear some of those uh, juicy John Hamm stories over bottles of wine. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I can share a story that I actually remember from that crew because there were so many. I What I liked was, you know, Olivia, Olivia and John have both directed. Olivia, of course, but smart John, of course, like Mad Men and stuff. Right. And so, like, they're they're very thoughtful and sort of proficient on the whole filmmaking process. When they talk about when they talk about film and directing and TV and stuff, they really they're really pretty whip smart. So that was cool just listening to them talk about that. Absolutely. So we're talking about like obviously some good times on set. Uh, what would you say though was uh, the most challenging uh, scene or day for you as an actor? 
far and away the most challenging day was uh, the scene where I blow up at Sam and kind of kick the coffee table. Uh, I won't say much more than that for fear of uh, spoiler alerting, but um, essentially it's just one of those scenes where a turn has to happen, a moment has to happen, and it has to feel organic and it has to feel realistic. And and I, I was having trouble finding the tone that day. And uh, Sam told me at one point, you know, Kathy and all these other people, we all kind of had a a day or a moment where we were finding the scene and we weren't quite there. Mm-hmm. And I asked Sam about that when I saw someone else have a moment and Sam looked at me dead serious, almost like a teacher to a student. And he goes, we're all going to have that day, buddy. We're all going to have that day on set. Yeah. Just wait, it'll happen to you. It'll happen to me. And he almost said it challengingly. And I was like, I didn't mean, you know, I wasn't like poking fun at someone for having that moment. I was curious as to what the moment was. And, he was basically like, no, dude, just just wait. It's, it's going to happen. And sure enough, a week later, Sam had a tough day where he was doing a scene just over the phone, something that should have been kind of simple, and it was tough. And, and my tough day was trying to find that scene where Sam and I have a back and forth uh, in the house. It was It was incredibly difficult, and I was trying not to show signs of like a panic attack to my cast and crew i was trying to keep it together yeah man i hear you i mean you know it's not easy sometimes to always be in the zone if you will uh all the time you know we're only human right that and i think too you know part of it is not being a hundred percent sure you know when you cook or bake something you get to taste it as you go when you taste it you're like oh i need salt you taste it you go this needs five more minutes in the oven i can't taste it while i'm doing it and that's like, I mean, there's without a barometer, you really just have to trust the people around you. Yeah, absolutely. Would you say that you, going back to like the Clint Eastwood takes thing then, would you say that you like a lot of takes to be able to ease into it? Or does it not matter if you've done your research, if you've talked with the director, you know that what he wants and you can just knock it out in one take like that? I think I prefer the Craig Gillespie version of takes where you do like six. I do like, I like getting a couple knocked out that might be good or might be awful. To me, the first two might be good, might be awful. The second two are safe where you get the script. And the, and the last two of the six would be like the improv wild line, whatever you want to. Right. So like that way, the editor has a lot to work with. And that way you, the actor feel as though you checked enough boxes. Yeah. That makes sense creatively. I, I, I can I can understand that. For me, you know, but, yeah. but I can work in anybody's world. I just have to adjust. And thankfully, Clint was very gracious in letting me have more takes if I really felt I needed them. That's really good. That's good to hear. So there's definitely been, I'll call them hot takes, if you will, on this movie from some people in regards to like the film's central message um, and the way it depicts uh, the media especially. Um, my question to you is, in talking with Clint, in doing research on the character, and just being so heavily involved in the process, what is the message that you want people to take away from this film? I mean, uh, art is weird, like you make music and you can make a song that's like about something painful and people are dancing to it. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Uh, like it's so subjective. So I don't fault anyone for having their interpretations and, and they're, they're entitled to those interpretations fully. Right. If, if for me boiling down what I want people to walk away from, I hope they're entertained by the film 
I hope they get a little lost in the characters and, and feel for the people involved. And I hope it makes them think twice about how they uh, take in their information. You know, we all have to be responsible with the narratives we tell based on the narratives that are told. Mm-hmm. So we have to, we have to really uh, hold ourselves to a high regard and responsibility, especially with um with having the internet where we can all be sleuths for 10 minutes and, and sort of know exactly what we're talking about. Well, luckily in my experience of interacting with you, um, I've, you know, met you in person and all that, uh, you are exactly how you are on uh, social media, which is, you know, you're an awesome guy. I, I really, really uh, gravitate towards you, man. And uh, I think a lot of other people sense that. I think they want to keep working with you. I think they want to uh, offer you more projects. And that leads into what is my last question, ultimately. Uh, and that is something I ask everybody. What's next? I noticed that you <laughs> did a little self-campaigning uh, for uh, uh, to play Chris Farley if the opportunity ever arose. I'm just curious. Has there been uh, anyone coming to you saying, hey, you know what? We would like to maybe do something like this someday for you. <laughs> um, well, first off, thank you for the warm compliment about uh about me. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and, and I've, I've had fun following your Twitter feed and, and just like liking stuff that I agree with and stuff like that. It's been a lot of fun. I really like, I really love movies. I think, you know, I, there's another world where I could have been, uh, just like you and guys like, uh, Eric Weber. Like I could see myself doing what you guys do just cause I love film so much. So it's been a pleasure to follow you guys. Um, as, but as far as, uh, as far as what's next, the Farley thing was more me not campaigning, but drawing a line in the sand. I'm just letting people know there are a few roles that I will break bones to get. That's <laughs> one of those things where I don't even want to do the movie. I don't even want to do it because I know I could be, but to make the movie rest assured, I'm taking it. No one is taking that movie from me. I, I love Chris dearly. I've met his brother, Kevin. I've done my impression for Kevin and other people and, and they know that it goes beyond the physicality. There's something deeper that I can bring out too, which is hopefully Chris's big uh, freaking heart. I love that guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't really have I don't really have any jobs lined up. I'm sort of reading scripts and just waiting to see what happens. Hopefully, people like the movie and think of me for stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it helps that you're definitely uh, in this one the leading role as opposed to a supporting uh, character m- member of. Uh, you know, a smaller member of the ensemble, if you will. Uh, so you're front and center. Uh, the tagline for the film is the world will know his name. And I think the world will come to know your name as well, uh, slowly but surely. So That's fun. Very fun. Yeah, that's super funny. Um, thank you, dude. Thanks for the interview. I'm sure I will see you uh, in the next uh, month or two to come, hopefully. Uh, whether we're nominated or not, I just like, I just want to go eat free shrimp, man. I'm just going to go to all these award things and, and meet my heroes and kick it with you. We'll have to have a drink and, and eat some free food, buddy. Same here. Same here. Free food, meet my heroes. Exactly. We're in it for the same reasons, man. That's what's up, man. If that's the itinerary, I'm there. Absolutely. Hey, congratulations on all the success. Can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you so much for the time, Paul. Really appreciate it. Oh, God bless you, dude. Happy holidays. You as well. Take care. 
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to my interview with the star of Richard Jewell, Paul Walter Hauser, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always we shall see you all next time Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.